bro. I'm over here counting this bread. I keep the faces down. It don't matter. <laughs> it don't matter. <laughs> it's just like sometimes you have to move to the money. Because you, you, money is it's like the money is like a woman, bro. Money will do what it has to do, but it don't want to work too hard to get it done. You feel me? So you gotta meet it halfway there. <laughs> like that's like the easiest way I can say it. You feel me? Speaking of which, this my CFO calling. That means you back, bro. Peace, what's going on? How much? That's it? I guess. <laughs> All right, sound like a plan. Well, let's get to it. Peace, peace, peace and love, everyone. Forgive the tardiness, little technical difficulties. But I am here with one of my favorite people. Um, actually, he looks like he's my age. He is my elder. <laughs> <laughs> Great genetics, and um, he's one of my favorite teachers and one of my favorite mentors as well, Dr. Madi. And he did the Money Magic lecture with us almost what, like four or five years ago. No, no, it was, it was, just, it was 2018. Seems like a long time ago, but it was, it was, it was 2018. 2018. Yeah, 2018, April 2018. Exactly. That, that was two years ago. Yes, sir. Well, it seems so much longer. A lot has happened in that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, um. I remember a lot of people still watching that lecture now, and you, we, you were the first to speak, and you had dropped some major keys on us and some things that I utilize today. And I know that you spoke on, I asked you for an interview a while ago, and I wanted you to speak on certain things, and you said that you wasn't necessarily fond of, um, what is it, eating by blood type more so. I, yeah, eat right for your type. Uh, and, and, and there's a reason behind that. You know, we we can get into that. Uh, talking about the, the the blood type diet and Doctor, you know, Peter Diadamo, Diadamo, and also Doctor Gundry, and the whole whole thing around lectins and what that's about. But uh, but yeah, like it's I'm not opposed to it. I would say uh, in regards to the benefits because I've, I've I've worked with patients in the past. I recommended for students, in addition to clients I work with uh, currently that I've worked with. I've used uh, pieces of that uh, philosophy and theory to to work with clients, but there are some factors with it that I even challenged, you know, Dr. Diadamo on because he, he actually was promoting his uh, blood type diet when I was in medical school, and he, he came and spoke at a grand rounds, and we we kind of called him out on these things, you know, and 
and he was like he admitted you know that you know there there these factors that we can talk about are things that you have to take in consideration so for me uh when i look at the blood type diet especially when it's concerning lectins and we can talk about lectins and what they are and how that's impacting the body and his whole philosophy behind that and then obviously that'll lead into uh dr gundry's work but where i stand is primarily and i think i shared that with you i come from a more ethno nutrition perspective yes. dealing with ancestry and, and how that ties into how we should be eating. Now, can we, um, now you said mainly dealing in ancestry. So for, yeah, especially in the medical field, like the, the food pyramid and things, that's not based on our particular genetic makeup. So oh, by no, no, by no means. No, that has yeah. nothing to really do with us. I'm lactose. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, this is the thing, for example, about 65% or even I'll say up to even 70% of the world population is lactose intolerant. They cannot break down the sugar lactose because we no longer have the lactase enzyme. We lose it around no later than five years of age. Oh. Most more people even earlier. And so, but for our Europeans, they still have that lactase enzyme. And the majority of the people here in Europe, 90% of people here can digest milk and dairy products without issue. And so it's a part of their traditions, part of their ancestry, cheese, the milk, you know, yeah. et cetera, that they can consume and their bodies do not have issues with it. Whereas majority of all your indigenous, like ourselves, we lose that enzyme. And if you try to force that type of diet upon us, we're now more susceptible to creating inflammation, disrupting our ability to digest and absorb nutrients. It creates a lot of mucus. And a lot of my elders and teachers from Dr. Sebi, you know, Dr. Johnny Moore, you know, Dr. B, all these folks, you know, Dr. Afrika, all of our elders talk about, you know, the impact of what mucus can have upon us because of our genetics and our ancestry. And so you have to honor, you know, the traditions from which you come, especially when it comes to your food. And so when we look at uh, the food pyramid, that was based, they, they created that back in the forties during the world war, world war two. And it was an, and they recommended, they were recommending this based on how many nutrients we need to give people in order to sustain these soldiers out there in the battlefield, keep them alive to fight and what they needed. But it wasn't based on your physiology nor my physiology. It was based on European physiology. That's just as bad as what are those? The um, MREs or MRIs? Um, exactly. Yeah, the MRE, yeah, those MREs. Are, yeah, yeah. yeah, those are terrible. Horrible. Yeah, I used to have them as a kid because my pops being in the military. You know what's up with that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm like. Those yeah. things are the worst. Yeah. And, and so for us, you know, one of the biggest issues that we're having, and I'm supposed to be reaching out to this brother. Uh, he's actually studying medicine in the UK. He's from um, the continent, Africa. And He's coming up with a whole new way of looking at labs based on our physiology, our biochemistry, and not the European model. Because when you even take blood work from us, it's looked through a European lens. And there are some variations and differences that you have to take into account for those who have indigenous ancestry, whether it's from the Americas or from Africa, or even from Asia for that matter. And so these are things that um, are not taken into uh, consideration when we 
think about medicine in general, but specifically when it comes to nutrition. The nutrition that we are receiving is based uniquely on European physiology. Yes. Now, if you were to give a a premise or an outline of how individuals should eat based on ancestry, what would something like that look like? Well, <clears throat> one thing I, I looked at, like when you study the different peoples around the world and those who have the longest life expectancy, you have quite a few people here within Europe, especially around the Mediterranean Sea, uh, like the Sardinia, um, you know, like basically just Spain in general, like Greece, these areas, even Israel, these areas that are uh, primarily based on a Mediterranean type diet, they're following the traditions that are ancestral for their peoples that go back thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And even like in people like Norway is another country that is, has a long life expectancy. Now, obviously they have a, a great social infrastructure to take care of their people, but their diet is the traditional diet for the most part that they've had for generations. And so when you look at who you are as an individual, and it's very unique for us in the Americas because you had an amalgamation of different peoples coming together. Yes. But within that amalgamation of different peoples coming together, you had a Eurocentric paradigm of politics, of lifestyle, that has been imposed upon all cultures there. And those who are not indigenous to that culture and that way of life that come out of Europe, we have a more difficult time processing that type of, or assimilating that type of food from that unique culture. And so hence within the Americas, uh, we'll see within the United States that those of indigenous African and indigenous American um, ancestry have much more difficulties with their health and have the greatest health disparities of all the different peoples that are in the U.S. because they are the furthest away from their ancestral way of eating. And, and the closer you are to the equator, the more plant-based you're going to be. Okay. Okay. And, and so if your people, if your ancestry is from more of a, from the, from the equatorial uh, divide, if you will, with the earth, you have a lot more sun exposure. The melanin content in your skin demonstrates this. Your diet will require much more of a plant-based type food consumption. And so you have to also take into consideration your environment. For example, Eskimos, and this is, and this, and I'll lead this right here into why I had the issue with the blood type diet. Because according to the blood type diet, you have the four types, but actually they discovered over 30 now variations. But the four primary types, you have type A, type B, type O, type AB. Mm -hmm. Type A is the oldest. Type B came next, then type O, and then type AB. When you look at the peoples around the world, according to uh, Dr. Diodamo, he says, based on your blood type, there's certain foods you need to eat. 
And if we look at the Eskimos who have type A, B, O, and AB in relative percentages up in there in the Arctic, Alaskan region, if you put them on a completely plant-based diet in those conditions, they will not survive. Even though they have type A blood type up there who are normally supposed to have a vegetarian plant-based type diet. You know, uh, type D can have some, you know, species of that nature, and type O is more of an omnivore. With those individuals, hey, peace, brother Jake, we got to get at each other. Oh, you just tapped in. Great. So um, with the uh, Eskimos, they, because of the environment there, the Arctic conditions, they need more fat, more animal-based protein. They get it from rubber, you know, well meat, seal, seafood, etc. You have little to no vegetation for food or fruit for food in that environment. So you cannot use that theory of blood type with those people in that condition that they live in and expect that to So your environment plays a key role, and that's the piece that this theory, this right for your type, the blood type diet, does not take into consideration. And so when it comes to dealing with food based on where you are in the world, like for example, you being in Florida and Miami, that's a very tropical, very warm environment. You can eat very well on a completely plant-based type of dietary protocol because it's warm there. It's throughout the, basically the whole year. You don't get really Arctic conditions in Miami. You know, so over this past uh, winter, you weren't experiencing 30, 20, or even zero much better than what I've dealt with in Michigan over the past year. For example, yeah. So, so imagine, okay, you living in in Michigan with the conditions that y'all have up there because it gets cold up there, very cold. You, you got the you know the lake there and everything, all that Arctic cold and frigid weather coming off the you know the lake, and just being in that particular area of the world is very harsh and so you're going to eat more warming foods people can do better with uh more animal-based proteins in that that capacity but also too again you have to look at who you are from an ancestral standpoint you eating a lot of meat in new york or michigan is still not going to serve you because your ancestry because ancestrally as a people we were in more warm climatic climatic weather and so we were eating more plants anything else vegetables and fruits and so you're going to thrive better there but you can you can sustain yourself a little more easily in that condition up in michigan with more animal-based proteins you can get away with it there because of the environment because it'll kind of help support you in that area but because of just who you are constitutionally that's why i say you always have to start with your ancestry because the environment plays a role but your ancestry trumps all in my opinion I remember when you had, you mentioned it um, at the Money Magic lecture as well. And I know you told it to me personally when I was going through some of my transitions. I remember when I wasn't sleeping for a while and you told me what was going on. And um, you mentioned like when it gets cooler, especially when you're residing outside the country, 
Like you will, even though you have a majority plant-based diet, you will partake in some aspects of fish sometime. And I, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. And to really kind of, and, and I was, when I was living in Los Angeles, uh, this is when I was studying Chinese medicine before I went to naturopathic medical school, I was vegan for almost five years and my body, I didn't, I didn't require a lot of sleep. I had so much energy. I was doing Qigong every day into my internal <laughs> martial arts, studying what I love. I'm down to the beach, meditating, doing all these things that were very conducive for that kind of lifestyle. So that plant-based lifestyle served me very well. And, and I had never been vegan before, even vegetarian before, until I actually moved to California, was living there and studying Chinese medicine. I started learning all this stuff. But when I moved to Arizona from medical school, I started out there that first year completely vegan, plant-based, but because of the stress and just the rigors of the curriculum that I was in, the the coursework, I was under so much stress. That diet and how I was utilizing a vegan diet at the time, because I was still not that well educated in the impact of stress on the body and how you have to adjust. I wasn't getting enough oils and we can talk about, you know, the endocannabinoid system and how that plays into well, so you talking to me. Like, I'm, this is almost like a doctor's visit right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what was really deep was my oils, my cholesterol levels were ridiculously low. My total cholesterol was right at about a hundred, 110. And that is very unhealthy. And so with that, I went in because literally I went into what we diagnose as nervous exhaustion, had a burnout. And so when I went in and when I was seen and they ran all the lab work and everything, I remember Dr. Hazel, never forget this. She looked me right in my face. She said, I don't care what spiritual beliefs you have or what philosophical beliefs you have around not eating meat. She said, you're having meat today. She said, your body is starving for it. She said, because you, you're so depleted in your cholesterol. So I had lamb for the first time. And it was like orgasmic. I was like, oh, my <laughs> like my body is like, okay, idiot. Thank you. My God, here, take this and we can use this. And, and I had to learn from that point, okay, based on the environment again, even though it wasn't dealing with the climate, because Arizona is one of the hottest places you can live in the U.S., However, the environment of how I was living, my lifestyle, and that environment that I created, what I was doing in school, created enough stress on the body that demanded more than what I was giving it through my plant-based diet. Now, I have enough education and awareness. I know how to supplement in with the oils and incorporate enough oils into my meals every day where that would not happen. But at that time, I didn't have that, and I was under an acute situation where my nervous system was fried and it needed your nervous system is built of fat. The white matter is all fat. That myelin sheath around your nerves is fat. And so me not having enough fat in my body that my body could produce internally, I had to look for exogenous sources or external sources to take that in. And the quickest way to do that was through animal-based protein. And so that sustained me. And, and like, like we, you said earlier, I still, from time to time, I'll have lamb, we, I'll have lamb like once a month because I really just enjoy it. And also, <laughs> and also uh, we'll have fish. And 
two, that ties into our ancestry as well. You know, we as a as a people, especially within the African diaspora, you know, goat, you know, you know, lamb, these kind of things we would incorporate in to our diets and also, you know, seafood. And so those are things that I would do, but it's very sparingly. Yeah. Right, right now in the summer, uh, I am basically about 90% plant-based. And one day out of the month, we will have lamb. And it's just for one meal. You have me contemplating it because I, I'm, I'm 29 now. I'm transitioning over to my 30s. My body's going through changes that I've never experienced before. I have a plant-based diet. Even my skin started tripping on me a little bit. And I'm like, I live in Florida, so is the air super moist? And I'm like, the only other thing it could be is my diet. I'm lacking something or something somewhere. So, and like how you said, like the level in which I work in things, and I have not been consuming enough fats. Um, I know I haven't because I haven't been working out. But also, when you really in tune with your body, you have to, like, if you don't have people like you, you have to be able to pick up on signs like this. <laughs> but like, that's why I said it kind of feel like a doctor's visit because I know the things that you're speaking on are some of the things that I need to implement in my own diet as well. Yeah, and it's really deep. You know, for example, kind of go back to the blood type diet. Uh, my brother, Jelani, actually posted up on the um, screen here. He said, what's up? So Jelani's a perfect example. Jelani has a type O blood type. So he should I am, I am as well. I'm all positive. Okay, okay, so he should be eating as an omnivore, eating a lot of meat and, and apparently from the theory, <laughs> okay, <laughs> he should do very well. This brother has been a vegan for almost, I think it's actually over 30 years now. And, 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 and during the duration of that time, he's actually gone for periods where he's just done fruit. And his brother works out every day. He's one of the top fit cats I know. Uh, yeah, I, I know who bro is. He, he's and so and so he's on his nutrition science. He's on the physical science. He has it down. And if we were to follow that theory of Diodamos, he would never be able to sustain himself the way, according to the theory of the blood type diet, and be able to flourish the way he has eating completely plant based for all this time. But you have to honor your constitution and honor what works for you. And he he's a huge, another huge advocate of one who's about ethnonutrition, looking at where you come from and ancestral roots and how that ties into how you should be feeding yourself today. And unfortunately, because of how we were educated and indoctrinated within the US, we've lost that connection completely. Yeah. And so this is why we see the systemic issues in health the health disparities we see in our communities, you know, and when I was in Arizona, I was out actually out on the uh, Hopi reserve working with the elders out there about how could we look at creating a more healthy system because they have the highest percentage of type two diabetes within the entire world there. The life expectancy is 45 years of age. A lot of, it's a lot of alcoholism on the tribe. Alcoholism, exactly, but also Nope. When we went into the stores there, they don't have grocery stores like you typically find. 
Oh, they don't. It's crazy. They don't grow their own food. It's crazy. No, no it's, they don't. And, and that's the whole crazy thing. They, they we've abandoned agriculture, growing our own foods. We're completely reliant on the systems. And what's really deep is for them. You know the the, the corner store. You, you know, you go to the corner store, and what they yeah. have in there—that's the grocery store. There's no, there's you no have, food there. You have, <laughs> you have fruits and vegetables in the corner store. Usually not, unless you live in a in like one of those areas. Yeah, yeah, and so and that's what it is. They don't and all this other stuff and the, most of it's like uh, processed corn, corn meal coming in, which is just a complex carbohydrate that's basically just packing on fat to the body, and because they're not getting in a diverse food, diverse foods to sustain their bodies and what they're accustomed to and being able to go out and grow their food and establish, you know, the, the proper connection with the land and the environment that we're innately designed to do. These things have been lost. You have the health disparities that you have. And we just see this across the board with our communities. And so as a, as a people, it is important that we get back to more of an ethno nutritious uh, way of living and that's really tied to the land and really honoring our ancestors you know and one thing that dr sabi said that i really that really uh when i first went and heard him uh speak in la when i first moved to la is like 2002 he said that we forgot to you know fall in scripture and honoring our mothers and our fathers that our days may be long upon this earth what we forgot to do was honoring our mothers and our fathers when it came to how we eat and how we live, specifically with our nutrition. And because of that, our days have not been long upon the earth. You know, we're, the ones, we're the ones who are dying the earliest because of us moving away from a more healthy way that's aligned with who we are ancestrally. Yeah, I'm, I'm over here thinking about a lot right now. I'm like, she talking about lamb. I'm like, I haven't had no lamb in so long. <laughs> I used to cook it for my family. <laughs> but yeah, like this is, it's, it's an eye-opening conversation for me as well. Especially, like I said, like me coming off, you know what it's like when you start coming into your 30s and stuff. Things are not the same. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> And I'm literally trying to figure out what's going on. And it's, it's just, I'm transitioning to another pinnacle. But having the diet that I have, based on me being um, plant-based majority, I know like I need to implement um, more fatty acids, amino acids, and things along those lines. So could we speak on the endocannabinoid system? You shook your head. No, like that was wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was, was going to say, I was going to say, the reason why I shook my head is that... Um, with the essential fatty acids, it's, uh, it's, it's not just about getting them in, just really understanding who you are, how this body temple is formed is key. Your entire nervous system is fat based. The white matter of the brain is fat. We have what is called a myelin sheath that coats all of the nerves. Every nerve in your body is coated with this in order to send electrical, electrical signals at a quick rate. The, the speed of light is able to do this. If that myelin sheath, that fat layer covering is compromised, weakened, or depleted, or even destroyed, 
nerve conduction in your nervous system begins to decline. You can end up with cognitive issues, uh, motor issues where you're no longer able to move. As what about like muscle spasms? Well, even muscle spasms, those are all, well, that more than likely muscle spasms are tied to electrolyte deficiencies. Okay. So you're looking at those, those electrical ions, you know, sodium, potassium, you know, et cetera, magnesium. These are those electrolytes that are needed for a calcium that are needed for the conduction of, of neuronal. All things that you need to grow plants. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so we, yeah, we could, we could talk about that in a moment too. And so, um, so it's important that you understand that fat is essential for your body. We've been sold a, 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 a raw deal when it comes to fat, especially within the healthcare arena that, oh, fat is bad for you. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Afrika, our elder would say was that for us as a people, getting in healthy fats was essential in the morning instead of having the grits and eggs and all this other stuff that we typically eat and a lot of bread and stuff. He's like avocados, you know, getting these healthy sources of fat and, and protein our brain will work with that a lot more efficiently, uh, especially in the morning, than you having a heavily carb-based breakfast. How often do you intermediate fast? Oh, why well, I, I do uh, twelve hours of fasting every day. Okay, so every day you intermediate fast. Yeah, well, it was it's, it's, it's at least twelve hours. It can be up to even sixteen. Like today was sixteen hours of fasting, and so and and that pretty much is broken down like this. My last, uh, my meal of the day is at 7 uh, p.m. And from 7 p.m. until around 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. the next morning is when I have my first meal. I only eat twice a day, only have two meals. And so I give my digestive system all that time to rest. And so it takes your body up to eight hours to break down a meal. And so after that last meal from 7 p.m. up to like 3 a.m. in the morning, my body's breaking down all of that food that I was digesting and that I, that I consumed and absorbing it. And then those additional hours is now, while especially while I'm sleeping, it's for regeneration and repair and recovery. And, and your body only regenerates and repairs and recovers when you're sleeping. And so when you give yourself that time to intermittent fast, all that 80% of that energy that's required for digestion can now go to regeneration, repair, detoxification, and getting the body back into a harmonious homeostatic state or state of homeostasis for the next day. But most of us, and I was guilty of it myself, especially when I was much younger, now psh, two in the morning, I'm still crunching on donuts or whatever else I was eating at the time and then go my to bed. just had a whole talk with me about my night eating. <laughs> and I'll go to bed on a full stomach like that. So my body's breaking that stuff down and, and, and the regeneration repair is not there. And this is why people end up over the long period of time living that way, your body starts to break down. So you start eating. No. There are some people who legitimately have like me, like I literally wake up starving in the middle of the night sometimes. And it, I remember when um, my son mother, like she didn't know that I did this. And like she seen me wake up in the middle of the night and start eating. She said I scared the hell out of her. 
because she didn't know what I was doing, but I was starving and I, I get completely, I don't sleepwalk or anything like I'm up completely. I know exactly what's going on and I'm, I just need to eat. And then like how you said, that disrupts my digestive system right there. So there's two things that I think of when you say that. Your caloric intake, how many calories you're getting in and also Ooh. how nutrient dense the foods are. I, I sweat in my sleep. So I know I burn calories in my sleep. So you, and you also work out every day. I have, because of COVID, I have not been, but I'm getting back into it. But yeah. even still, I'm even, seeing, you know how it is with our diets. We'll start seeing weight declines and things. Bro, even, even because, even if you're not working out because your lean muscle mass is so much more than your fat content to your body, mm -hmm. you have a lower BMI. So when you have more muscle, you're going to be automatically burning more energy. As athletes, that's what, what happens. And so even if you're not eating, you're still burning calories. Even if you're not moving, you're still burning calories because you have so much more muscle mass to you. So if you're not getting enough calories that are nutrient dense, the body is starving and it needs those nutrients, especially because the muscle mass you have is requiring a lot of energy to maintain. And so you have to ensure that you're getting enough calories every single day. And also ensuring that those calories are nutrient dense, not empty calories. How do you feel about um, caloric intake versus protein intake? Because I've had I've heard completely different things about protein. You don't need protein. Your body is a protein. Your skin is a protein. And then there's people like um, Jelani, people who work out. And then even myself, when I do want to add on muscle, I have to bring in almost 200 grams of protein in order to add on just two pounds a day. Well, proteins are calories you know they fall like they're macronutrients carbohydrates fats and proteins are all you know fall with under the umbrella of calories if you will so yeah you're going to need them but you can get proteins from you know you're obviously from plants have proteins as well as your animal-based proteins so you have proteins in all the foods we eat so for you if you again are requiring a, a especially if you're physically active you're going to require more protein consumption Pregnant women who are pregnant require more protein and, <laughs> and, and also children who are growing require more protein. But speaking of that, Rhea said hi. <laughs> the blessings and the love to the sister. And so uh, if you are an individual who has not, who is not engaged in a lot of physical activity, and let's say, for instance, you have a sedentary type lifestyle, you're at a desk, you work at a desk all day, you're not really, really moving around, you're like a couch potato, you sit back in this bed on the TV. Uh, your requirements for protein is going to be less. And if you're still eating the way you were as a teenager, you're going to be now more prone to creating more visceral fat, more, more fat around the belly, you're going to gain more weight, and you're going to lose more muscle because of the sedentary lifestyle. And so most people still follow the three meals, three square meals a day that we've been conditioned with in the, in the US and they're eating a big breakfast, a big lunch and a big dinner and snacking in between. And it's not required because one of the other key things that happens as we do become older is after age 25, by age 25, the body has completely fully grown to what size it's gonna be. And those epiphyseal plates within the long bones have sealed. And so no more growth of bone. And so if you're eating as a teenager who needs 
all those calories and all that protein because the body's growing and changing. If you're still eating that way, the only thing that's going to increase is your waistline, not your height. <laughs> and so, and this is what we, this is what we will see with folks. And so for you, because you're so active and you're also engaging a lot of work, you're out, you're moving, you're shaking, you're out there having meetings, you're, you know, connecting, networking, conducting business, doing all the commerce that you do. It's important that you're ensuring that your body has the nutrients it needs in order to sustain that type of lifestyle. And because you're an athlete as well, it's, it behooves you to ensure that even, even when you are having your meals, that you're snacking in between because you need to be able to sustain your cortisol levels and blood sugar levels throughout the day with all the activity that you're engaged in. And so I'm not surprised you're waking up in the middle of the night wanting to eat because <laughs> <laughs> your body is needing more than what you're giving it. Yeah. And, but you also have to make sure that you're eating nutrient dense foods. And what I mean by that is foods that are rich in nutrients, whole foods, especially if you're looking at, yeah, perfect example, Jay, like chlorella, moringa, yeah, marine phytoplankton, all those things are perfect examples of nutrient dense uh, foods. Alfalfa is another nutrient dense herb, like these foods that can really give the body a lot of nutrients, a lot to sustain, to sustain itself. And when you have the nutrients there, you're not going to be hungry. But I just, went, I just went to Miami and I picked up my bottle of, chlor of chlorophyll out the refrigerator because I haven't been able. I have like probably two salads. <laughs> I'm like, I know I'm not consuming enough greens, but the manner in which I'm working, like how you stated, it's fitting in the proper amount of food when my stomach is the size it is. That's the most difficult part for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so ensure that you're having enough of that is going to be key. And that's something we can definitely talk about more. Uh, you know, we can sit down and... I can Most definitely going to need that. <laughs> but um, now, as somebody speaking, um, still somebody who is a huge avid for the plant itself, plants, botany, um, hemp, cannabis, sativa, and how understanding how closely related we are ourselves to that particular plant and plants period what information would you be willing to share with the people as it pertains to that particular system and you know our relation to it well that the, the endocannabinoid system is a very ancient system that majority of life forms on this planet have and we produce it uh within ourselves endogenously that's why it's, it's called endocannabinoid meaning that it is produced from within the body, endo, inside the body. And with that system, and, I, and the first time I learned this, I was like, oh man, I was in medical school and we were talking about, we were talking about pharmacology and we we're discussing the different types of uh, chemicals that the body produces. And I, I call our bodies God's little personal pharmacy. <laughs> because literally we can create anything the body needs from within to cure it and heal it. Mm -hmm. And so, Phytocannabinoids, which are your CBD and THC that you get from cannabis, those are external, but we have our own internal ones that we create. And they're, uh, anandamide is one, and the other one is a really funky name, but they call it um, uh, A2G. And so those two are the primary endocannabinoids that our body produces. 
and we have two receptors that are throughout the body, CB1 receptor and a CB2 receptor. CB1 receptors are all through the nervous system from the brain, all the nerves, nerve tissue have CB1 receptors. And then CB2 receptors are found within the immune cells, but also other tissues in the body. And we create these endocannabinoids from within the brain, the hypothalamus also we created in the gut. And so, and what's happening is this system is there to deal with anything external or perceived as the external that is a threat or disrupts homeostasis, the endocannabinoid system is activated to bring the body back into balance. Okay. So any kind of pain, any stress, any, you know, illness, um, you know, these are the key things that this system will deal with. So hence why someone's, when someone's using cannabis for pain, they get the benefits of it. When they use the cannabis for treating cancer, they get the benefits of it because it activates the endocannabinoid system to repair and bring about homeostasis and heal. But what's interesting with these phytocannabinoids, THC and CBD, they work differently within the body. Yes. THC actually binds to the same receptor as the endocannabinoids do. And that is, that's, C, that's a CB1? CB1 and CB2. Okay, both of them. Combined to both of them. THC, when it does that, it mimics our endocannabinoids and carries out that function. CBD, on the other hand, actually doesn't attach to the receptor, the CB1 or CB2 receptor. It actually attaches, it, it doesn't attach to it, but actually adheres itself to the receptor. Say, for instance, this is the receptor here. And THC would come and lock itself in, like the endocannabinoid. CBD will do this, and it'll come to the side of it, and it kind of will modulate the receptor to increase endocannabinoid production, and also to help with the signaling of that receptor to carry out more functionality for whatever um, is needed specifically for. Um, Balancing, if you will. So, for, say for instance, you you have a injury to a tissue. CBD comes in, and there's a lot of inflammation there now, and the immune system is coming to react. We want to reduce that inflammation to help support the healing process. CBD will attach to receptor to bring those endocannabinoids that we make internally to the area, help reduce the inflammation. But also, the CBD itself can reduce the inflammation. Yeah. THC on, other, THC, on the other hand, when it comes and locks in the receptor, it down-regulates the production of our endocannabinoids. And this is where there's still some theories out there. They haven't really fully proven it, but it's looking like just from what I understand of how the body works, when you bring in any exogenous substance, a phytocannabinoid uh, like THC, Mm -hmm. going to actually attach to the receptor and replace of what is normally going to go there that we make from within what we make will start start to be produced less and less and what oh i guess you will become more dependent on the thc because you've down regulated the endocannabinoid system okay 
it's being now replaced by this exogenous source. Of, it's of, kind of like taking um, aspirin for pain all the time when your body has a natural regulator for it. For like, yeah, dopamine and how yeah. to deal with that. Yeah, exactly. So, Are you familiar with RSO? uh yes Rick the actual, oil. oil yes yes yeah and so what has to be taken into consideration is one word moderation mm -hmm. something i i do not encourage anyone to be doing this every single day and what i did uh in medical school i wanted to test it <laughs> It's a new story to me. <laughs> See what would happen. So we we smoked for an entire day. A whole whoa, a whole day. We we, we literally smoked. Uh, it was like we had quite a bit, and we we <laughs> we went through. For, I'd say about a good nine hours straight. Ooh, yeah, that's rough. And, and so we did it that day, and then we that was like. A loading dose, because typically in 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 medicine, especially in naturopathic medicine, therapeutically, we, what we would do with any kind of herb formulation or supplement, you do like a loading dose to get blood saturation, and then you just titrate off, and you just have like a minimum dose that you carry out for the rest, you know, the rest of a few weeks. So we did a loading dose of one day, we just kind of smoked it for the whole day, and then we That's smoked good. each day. We smoked each day over, it, and I wanted to see how this would affect me over a month doing this, and. I noticed that my short-term memory was shot. That's not a good thing to have in medical school. No. <laughs> and so I was, it was difficult for me to retain information. I started noticing that, like, wow, this is really crazy. But I was, I was very relaxed. <laughs> I was very relaxed. That was great in that time. <laughs> great, great, exactly. It was great in that time. I was very relaxed. But obviously, I was doing something that was extreme, what we did initially. But just to see over time that that THC will actually replace what you do endogenously, what your body naturally will do and create on its own to deal with any kind of stressors. So when I stopped it, it took honestly for me to really get fully back to my mental sharpness. It took almost about four or five months for me to really just be back to, okay, yeah, I'm kind of back to where I was before I redid this crazy experiment. Now that is me, myself, I I ran track, so I really didn't get into like cannabis, the consumption of cannabis or medicine station until I was around like 18, 19. And when my first experiences was really like really rough. <laughs> so I was consuming a lot. But so if I was if I was looking to come back into an aspect of homeostasis and understanding that detoxing or like an aspect of weaning off would be necessary what type of just with your understanding of the system what type of things would you recommend somebody do oh, like yeah so, so kind of going back to the whole fat the whole fat piece the endocannabinoid system and those particular molecules that our body those neurotransmitters that our body is creating the anandamide and the a2g those specific uh, endocannabinoids are fat-based. So you can replenish them by consuming healthy fats, specifically omega-3s. 
So if you're plant-based, getting that through like flaxseed, okay, you know, or even through uh, phytoplankton and or about microalgae, you know, chlorella. These things have actually a now. What if you can't have those things because you can't have seafood? <laughs> oh no, 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 but uh, well, you can get it through your flaxseed then. Okay. Yeah, flaxseed's not seafood. So if you if you can't have you have an allergy or a sensitivity to iodine or iodine or anything of that nature. Yeah, then you you do flaxseed. That's like a, a quick way for the body to uh, get omega three oils into it. So that will do it, and that will help rebuild the endocannabinoid system, help it regenerate. Also, CBD oil without THC in it can do the same thing. It supports and modulates the receptors, help the receptors re regenerate, but also increases the production of those endocannabinoids. So you can use CBD, hemp, C, hemp CBD, and actually help replenish that system as well. Also, you have to take in consideration with you have your fat that you're consuming through your foods, through your nutrition. In addition to that, you look at other lifestyle factors, making sure you're getting appropriate sleep and rest, as well as uh, re exercising will actually increase endocannabinoid. Um, let me see, I think I just froze. Yeah. Okay. Let me see if I can. Can you still hear me though? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Okay, yeah, this is like, yeah. It's your camera. Okay, yeah. Well, my camera's on. It yeah, probably did the same thing that it did earlier. Okay, let me see here. Uh, let's go with the cam. Let me get back in here. We only got a couple more minutes. I'm not trying to hold you up. I know what it's like with them time zone differences. Yeah, People yeah. Can yeah. Times a night. <laughs> well, let, let me just let me say what I was gonna say though. Um, yeah, I may not be able to be on there, but they don't really need to see me. To, more importantly, what they hear. So, with lifestyle, making sure you're exercising because that will also increase the endocannabinoid production within the body. So, just your lifestyle, those like change up your lifestyle. Make sure you're doing things that are gonna be very healthy. Uh, so reducing stress, all of that will help support that system. So if you're going through a detoxification, you want to, you know, you're stepping off of the uh, the daily use of, of cannabis, and you want to, you know, start really activating your own, those are things to do. Another way, powerful way, and this is one of the things I learned after my little experiment, was to incorporate meditation. And I realized that I could access those same levels of awareness that the THC would provide. I was able to access that same kind of awareness and even go into even greater uh, spiritual awareness and 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 dive in and downloading all kinds of you know extraordinary uh, ideas through meditation um, by going within and creating a state within to help you know bring about that and increase my own access to that endocannabinoid system through meditation and just the lifestyle, other changes that I, I mentioned. So there's a, a number of things that you can do to really uh, begin to access that. And if you are gonna be using um, cannabis as an, an exogenous or external source, do it sparingly. 
it's like I said, it's something, it's not something that you should have to do daily. Now, if you're under any kind of medical condition, uh, you know, where you're under therapy and treatment, uh, you know, definitely follow the, you know, recommendations of your practitioner. Uh, I think specifically in what I've seen uh, clinically and just working with folks over the years, um, the oils are more impacting and have, have a longer lasting effect within the body than just smoking. And also it depletes, you know, it, it reduces the stress on the lungs too, when you're not smoking. And so looking at a, doing it through an oil uh, type of um, infusion would be very beneficial. You know, I'm not, I'm not fond of vaping, um, but. Well, no, like, no, I'm not talking about vaping. I'm not talking about yeah. vaping. I'm talking no, about I, I know, I know exactly what you mean because yeah. I consume, um, I use RS, like I say, I use RSO. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So I get nat I get natural RSO, yeah. and that's what I take sometimes because my flare-ups in my back be really bad, and I got hit in the back, I got hit in the lower back with a um, minivan at one point in time, and I got ejected from a car at another time. So my spine, like because I'm getting older, is really starting to you know like kick in. So yeah. RSO helps a little bit. And, and that's where the nutrition is going to come in key for you as well. Um, so one thing for you, if you're going to enter, incorporate, like getting the oils in is key because that's going to help with the inflammation, specifically uh, supporting that is we have like the different uh, fatty acid pathways within the body. And one of the pathways that we always want to support is the pathway of utilizing those omega-3 fatty acids and creating these anti-inflammatory uh, anti prostaglandins that actually mm -hmm. reduce inflammation. And because of the traumas that you experienced, the body has experienced with these car accidents, that those areas more than likely have scar tissue and inflammation. So ensure yes. that you're getting enough of those healthy oils will help with that significantly. And obviously the CBD oil will support that as well. And so with the meat, now you have to be very conscious of this. All meat has arachidonic acid. Arachidonic acid is a fatty acid that our body naturally produces, and it's, and it's part of the immune response, and it creates inflammation. And so if you're going to consume meats, you want to do it sparingly because you're going to be getting more arachidonic acids from those animal-based proteins. And what, unfortunately, most of the meats that you go to convention, you go and get conventionally out of uh, grocery stores, those animals were under extreme stress, so they flooded their muscle tissue with arachidonic acid as they were dealing with the stress of how they were raised and then killed and now butchered and put in the grocery stores. And so when you ingest that kind of meat, that in itself uh, is going to flood you with even more. Fish has much lower or less uh, levels of arachidonic acid. Your red meats are much more saturated. So if you're gonna do any red meats, like Pacific lamb, you wanna do it like halal or, you know, or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's just like, look at, you know, sources where the animal was treated well, it was in an environment where there wasn't a lot of stress and that will reduce the level of uh, arachidonic acid that you would be exposed to. Cause that can create more inflammation and just exacerbate your condition with the injuries that you had to your back. Looks like it's leading towards some changes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, brother, that's the name of the game. That's what we're here for, man, to really continue to evolve and grow and adapt as uh, 
life um, warrants for us individually. And so the thing is really taking up the time to assess and become uh, specifically aware of where you are currently in your journey and what you require. And that always takes time for you to reflect and uh, reassess and see where you are, do an inventory. Most of us are so busy, distracted by these external things through social media and work or whatever else we're doing, we don't take time out to just really listen to what our bodies are telling us, listen to what our souls are telling us about where we are in our lives, what we desire, and what are the next moves and steps for us. So giving yourself that, that solitude and that time to reflect upon what is going on with you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And then from there, making the appropriate changes to accommodate the, accommodate the lifestyle that you desire. That's what we all need. And, and, and it's up to you, each of us as individuals, to really do that for ourselves. No one can do it for us. So I, I highly encourage, as you're looking at coming into your 30s and what you're right now in is what they call the Saturn return. So you're really assessing where you're going in your journey and what, what are the next steps for you as you shed the conditions of your, what your parents have taught you, grandparents, you know, what you got through education, and you're now coming into a place where you get to determine who you're gonna be in this life as you enter into this next chapter, this is a perfect time to really contemplate and reflect what matters to DJ first and foremost, and how does he want to live his life going forward and what what is the journey going to look like for him? And this is a perfect time to do that. Well, Doc, as always, I'm very appreciative of your energy and your time. And like how I stated before, and I'll say it again, you are one of my favorite people. I don't have too many of those. So <laughs> I always speak very highly of you. And um, you, are, you always are a gentleman and a scholar. And I just appreciate you reciprocating with me and everything that you've given to me, even today and to the people. So I know those are your parting words. Do you have any, um, I know um, for individuals who may have any um, concerns or a way, do you have your a website or aspect where some of these people can actually reach out to you? Yeah, well, right now we are uh, actually, I, I, we took the website down because we we're doing some updates to it, but the website is the Akon Journey, spelled O, well, T-H-E-O-K-A-N journey.com. And it's down right now, but it will, uh, we're, we're revamping a lot. We're actually creating an entire, and I think I told you about this. We actually, I have an entire new program now working with uh, folks who are dealing with burnout and stress. And it's a very comprehensive approach to uh, self-discovery. And- Are y'all doing retreats? I need to come. <laughs> right now you know no we can't do any of those things because i know because of covid yeah but we we're looking probably 2021 we will definitely have some retreats uh coming up and stuff but the program uh will be there's there's three uh levels from a 12 week up to a, a 12 month um that you know people will have opportunity to explore and see if there's a you know a good fit for them but the, the key thing is to really get people in a position where they are working on self-mastery and that's what this whole journey is about self-mastery you know spiritually mentally emotionally physically who you are in your relationships how you contribute in this world through the work that you do and your environment and understanding that all those things are an extension and 
a part of who you are and there is no separation. And so for individuals who, uh, as of right now, because like I said, we just took, I took the website down and I have, we're working on the back end, getting everything prepped, uh, for, uh, our goal is our target date is January 21st to relaunch on the uh, fall equinox. Uh, up to that point, if people want to reach out to me, they can get me at, uh, on Facebook, uh, my D, my L, um, is the name there. And on Instagram, it is the life design doc. Uh, he's my friend on both pages. So you can most definitely find him on my um, friend list and I'll make sure that, um, he has a, a tag on the video for those of you who are looking to inquire with some of his services. Yeah. So. Well, Doc, once again, you are very appreciated and we love and respect you in the community and we send you nothing but positive energy and to all of your loved ones. Appreciate that, my brother. Thank you very much. It's always an honor, man, uh, connecting with you and just being able to share. Like every time we connect, there's always some powerful things coming out of it. So I truly enjoy it. Well, till next time, good brother. I hope you have a great night. Peace and love.